Hey everybody, welcome to Les Pod. You are here, my friends, because you believe in the LGBT community and the importance of sharing our individual stories to help impact one another. Our goal with the show is to introduce you to people and ideas that are going to help you actually execute on your dreams in the midst of learning how to believe in yourself. My name is Alexandria Friedlander, and I'm here to introduce you to the remarkable people who have helped shift the world we live in today. Uh, today's guest is Dr. Marilyn Volker, educator in sexual sexuality for the past, past 37 years, is a diplomat of the American Board of Sexology and an associate fellow of the American Academy of Clinical Sexologists. Dr. Volker helped establish the first gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered youth group in Miami-Dade County in 1975, known now as Pride Lines. Uh, Dr. Volker helped establish the Health Crisis Network, Florida's first community-based based AIDS project, and has educated thousands over the past 20 years on HIV and AIDS nationwide. Help me thank and introduce Dr. Marilyn Volker to the show. Yay, yay, yay. Sign language for, for congratulations, Alexandra, for doing this. Please call me Marilyn my pronouns are she and her, and I work with so many people who have opened their doors to invite me to learn about communities. So thank you, thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show and taking your time. I really appreciate it. So there's so much to you as I've read, you know, there's, um, as I've read and watched, um, you know, you're, you're such an interesting human being who I think has really made an impact on the LGBT community. So I'd like to talk about that. Um, I'd like to know, you know, how Pride Lines got started um, and how the LGBT community kind of resonates with you overall. First of all, I am grateful to the LGBT community for opening the doors, inviting me in to learn a lot because we have a, um, we have a, a really rainbow family. We have, well, we have four kids and we have, I, I have to think about 13 grandkids and two great grandkids. And one of our daughters is bisexual and one of our granddaughters is lesbian. And um, one of our, oh, two of our cousins are gay. And so we've, we really have had a family that as my father, the minister and my mother, the minister's wife now dancing with angels taught us we are to value. The operative word was value, not tolerate, not accept, value all, all. And that to me, although I didn't even know those words at the time, that didn't just, well, I knew white, but not just cisgender, heterosexual. I, when they said all, I took it to mean all. And so that helped me a lot, helped me a lot. And how did you, you know, when they said that to you when you were a child, how did you decipher the difference between what all meant versus, you know, different um, color, different gender? You know, like as a child, how did you identify what the, the broad word all meant and, and, you know, unless they purposely pointed out, you know, be accepting to black people, to Asian people, to, you know, all Indian people, to all, to all people, 
you know, how did you figure that out on your own? Well, although they said those words, all of our churches were white. <laughs> I'd have to say that. And I was expected to date white men and to uh, just be around. And I was, I was around white people, straight people. And, but I didn't even know the word straight. I'm 75 years old. So we didn't even have words except put down words. So, but when they said we value all, I took it really to mean that. And so I took the goodness of that, but I think when it really came to resonate, the first time I was in junior high, they called it junior high. Now they call it middle school. And we were in different places. I was born in Texas and my father, we were like minister's kids. He had churches all over. And we were in Kentucky and Ohio and wherever. Okay, so, and the first middle school, now we'd say middle school, a teacher I had was a black um, a Muslim. And I was like, wow, I'm sure he saw neophyte on my forehead. <laughs> and he just said, you're gonna help me. And I go, Oh, yes, because I knew white people well, uh, you know, but um, so he introduced me to a whole range of people. And that's when my friends were Puerto Rican, African-American, and a, a gay and lesbian friend. And I was like, wow, this is what we mean by all. And so for me, I think the biggest aha was in middle school of what it really meant to value all that to me. And so I had great friends that were all in that rainbow as well. I love it. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So tell me a little bit about how Pride Lines got started. I know that um, you met up with a, a group of four uh, gentlemen or young yes. boys yes. and uh, that they were meeting in the five B's, which I'd like you to tell us about. Okay. And, um, and the fact that it is, it's, I mean, you know, uh, somebody very special to me want, wanted to, or was offered a position at Pride Lines. Like it's, Pride Lines is a big deal today. You know, it's, it, it provides opportunity for people in all different aspects it's beautiful so if you could please share with us um how how that you know came into fruition well i have to give you a little background and that's why i loved that you had your uh, guest from fiu because as a minister's kid uh, if you had a vagina in those days you married a minister which i did and we were called the fringe clergy because we were involved with a lot of things, the Pedro Pan kids and the and the migrant farm workers, and 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 we wanted to be involved with a lot of issues, and so we were. And so what happened is uh, I was teaching deaf kids. If you see me sign, it's because that was my dream was to teach deaf kids. And so I work with a lot of, of, of uh, students with many many varying abilities, including LGBT folks with with varying abilities. So when I came down 
Um, and they brought me words off bathroom walls, the deaf kids. I thought, you better know how to teach this. And so that's why my doctorate is in sexology. It was because of deaf students who brought me words off bathroom walls. But well, first jobs to get to pride lines is that one of my first jobs, because I have to give credit to the LGBT community, is that uh, it was at FIU and they had an institute on sexism and it was just Institute on Sexism at that time. And it was in, I know, because I'm 75, so oh, got a lot of history. And if you had a vagina and you were in high school in those days, this is like going to sound so dumb to people, but if you had a vagina, you couldn't take things like how to take care of your car or shop or auto body, which I always thought was very interesting. And if you had a penis, you couldn't take home after cooking. And I'm thinking, but there's so many great guys who are chefs and never made sense to me. But there were two people in the LGBT community who were the head of the Institute on Sexism at FIU. Dr. Tom Pira, now Dancing with Angels. Dory Stein, whose wife, Margie, now Dancing with Angels. And um, was they started this Institute on Sexism going, no, we have to work on Title IX and uh, where equity was people can take things. And you know, the biggest fear of this was, um, was that if we place a spatula in a person with a penis or we placed a wrench in a person with a vagina, it would make them gay. And I'm thinking like, whoa, and this is me because I'm kind of a, a, a PIA person sometime ago. Oh, if that's it, man, I know who I want to give to wrenches. And, and if that was the easy way to make somebody get, whoa, I got a lot of people. I, at least for a month. Anyway, I, love so it. I, I know, I know. And so what happened was they, they, the fear was it, they would make them gay. So we, they asked me if I would be a part and to add the Institute on Sexism and Sexuality. And this was at FIU. And I have to give them credit. And they have the most killer program, Pride Line. And also at that point, this was in 1970s, they had the most killer gender oh, program. And Dr. Marvin Dunn, who was a person who had, who was the head of all of these institutes. And I said, well, of course, of course, I'll, I'll be happy to. And the community open itself up. And I have to say, Alexander, when you are invited, me, when I was invited to communities that said, come on in, learn about us and also be a part of us, I was, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we went around the state talking about what was then homophobia. We didn't even have the, we had LG. We had no B at the time and no T and forget all the QQIA things. We had none of that. It was just, and it was so interesting to see how fearful people were. And I was raised on, don't be afraid, learn. That's what my parents taught me. Don't be afraid, learn. So I thought, I'm going to learn. And so we went all over the state. And so 
now I'm going to get to answer questions. So when we went and people assumed I was lesbian and I was fine. I didn't care what they thought. I still don't care what they think. I want them to value all people. And so the interesting part was we began to teach all over about, um, about sexism, sexuality, LGB, well, and then we added T later. But when it moved from FIU, we began to do these workshops called developing positive, we couldn't even say LG at all. We called it self-esteem. That's what we called it. And so people came. And now I'm going to answer your question. So we moved it from FIU to Miami-Dade. And, but I have to credit absolutely Tom Kiroff and Dory Stein because, oh, what, what shoulders we stand on to be truthful. Then we get to Miami-Dade. Okay, and we're doing these workshops and four young guys come up and they say, we want a place to meet. And they were 14 and my son is now 50 years old and as a counselor and with his own family. But I looked at them and they were 14. And where are you meeting? And they said, these five Bs, and I'll never forget Alexandria, never in my life. Bars, beaches, bathhouses, bookstores, bushes. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. There's something I have called righteous anger. I'm like, Oof. and I just walked, just marched up to Dr. Eduardo Padron, who was the head at, at Miami-Dade Wolfson. I go, we have to have a place to meet. We have to have, and it has to be safe, and it has to be called a class so that they don't have to lie to the parents, and we have to bring in role models. So it was these four young guys that really started um, the first of these um, LGBT groups that now morphed into Pride Lines. It started there at Miami-Dade. And we had so many people, Peter Meyer, I can't even tell you all the people that came in at the time. And people felt safe. And even the guards, you know, of Miami-Dade, they wanted to learn. And so I said, you have to treat everybody respectfully, everybody who comes in. And so they wanted to learn too. And I always found that, oh, Dr. Not only Padron, but Dr. Kim Porter, Dr. Irene Lipoff. I can't tell you all the people when you have a dream team that help you. And I just, I would not want my son, I don't care what orientation he is, is you don't meet in these five Bs if you're 14. You want a safe place to meet. So that's how the, and then it morphed into Pride Lines. And of course, we have wonderful people, Victor and LJ, and so many people at Pride Lines that, oh, wow. And then, and uh, two nurses, lesbians who started the, the, um, the, the safe schools, uh, well, that was Robert Lupo, but started the Yes Institute. And these are all these early, early times where it's just, what can we do to help um, for students to feel safe? Right. And, oh, oh, I was very privileged to be a part of, and always, always that as well. But I have to credit those four guys. 
for sure. I love it. That's really beautiful. And, and to know that you're, um, that you started something out of such extreme passion, you know, that anger, you allowed that anger to motivate you, which was going to be my next question. What motivated you um, to keep pushing forward in pursuing this in your goals and life when things got tough? Well, I grew up feeling different. And I think that was the, um, I grew up as a minister's kid and nobody really wanted to be around me except I had a key to the church and I had access to communion wine. I have to tell you, it was just like funny stories in those days and like, oh yeah, all of, for a while I was everybody's BFF because I had a key to the church where they could make out and, and have some communion wine. And my father was always like, who do you think is drinking the communion wine? Sign language. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But. And how old were you when you were doing that? Oh, it was probably, well, I taught Sunday school. I was in the choir. I had access to. So I was a teenager before they had their own cars, remember, and access to. So that part, I must have been about 14, 15. And I realized everybody loves me. Well, not really. They loved the access to the privacy in the church and the communion wine. So wine sign language. So the interesting part was I felt different and nobody really, I wasn't allowed to dance. It was called, oh gosh, I have to vertical intercourse. I didn't even know what that meant at that time. I, I know what vertical meant, but really, holy cow. I wasn't allowed to date and I really felt different. And a lot of people didn't want to, you know, piss off the minister. Okay. But the interesting part was, so I was drawn to students who felt different. And so my friends in middle school called junior high then, was okay, an African-American, a Puerto Rican, a later who came out as a gay man, later somebody who came out as a lesbian, but we didn't have those words. So, but we all felt different and I was drawn to that. So when you ask what my passion is, is when people feel different. I wanted to teach deaf kids. And so my undergraduate master's degree on deaf education special ed and I work with many LGBT folks who have differences that's who I'm really was drawn to because I think I felt that as I could resonate with people who felt different and then how did you cope and how did you cope so that to me is always been is has been a sense of if you value all how do you walk your talk? And my mother told me, when you are out here as a leader, oh, you're going to get criticized. Get ready. Get ready. And, and of course, I got criticized a lot. The hair, the, the, it was the go-go boots at that time and the short, you know, mini skirts and that I wanted to wear. But um, she taught me a lot. If you really believe and you're standing way out here, you have to make it safe so people feel safe enough to come in. So I got 
really, you know, taught in, in many, many interesting ways. And so when I feel passionate, mm -hmm, it's about valuing all, I have to say, absolutely. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so it sounds like your parents really instilled some beautiful values into your life. What would you say aside from valuing and accepting all some, some other values were? Well, it was about sexuality issues because when the, um, I have two gay cousins that, although they said value all, walking your talk is different. That was some, some, you know, and I, and it's something that I ask people always now, do you walk your talk? How do you walk your talk? And I had two gay cousins that are my age now. And well, they were called their friends, really, they were their husbands, you know, their, their friends, and or their friends, really, they were their wives. And I'm like, no, no. And if you walk your talk, and I was a pain in the ass kid who would ask things logically. I really do. Like, Daddy, if we value all people, how come our church looks so white? How come if we value all, how come I can't date that cute Puerto Rican person? Okay. I and I am all still that pain in the ass kid that will just ask logical questions. And so when, um, when, I, when the kids brought me, the deaf kids brought me words off bathroom walls, I thought, and, and it was a deaf boy and his name was Brian and he had beautiful brown skin, BB, Brian. And he brought me three words from bathroom walls. I had not taken one sexuality class, nothing, zero. Sexuality, gender, this is like in the early seventies. And I thought, and I, was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. And so I just said, no, those words are nothing. What were the words? At, oh, eat pussy. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I am like, oh, one was about dick, something dick. And I was like, and I, when you get embarrassed and you don't know what to say, I go, no, those words are nothing. But he was the same irascible. The word is irascible. He just stood up at my chin level and he signed liar you because I had told him and he signed, you say all words mean something. Now what? And that's what I did say. They all meant something. And he goes, now what? And I go, no, no. But the takeaway was Alexander, he never brought me another word again. I broke his trust. And that's something that I feel passionate about. How do we break trust of people who can't be themselves, can't say their truth, can't say what's honest for them? And so I thought, oh no, Volker, you have to go and get more training. And that's when I went to San Francisco back and forth nine years to get my doctorate in sexuality. Oh, I met a lot of people. And then when I was at Miami, um, uh, at Miami Dade, um, an endocrinologist, Dr. Nancy Klimas, a, 
a social worker, Dr. Bill Kipp, they said something big's gonna happen, Marilyn, and you're an educator and we want you involved. And I'm always like, I wanna learn, okay. And that was the beginning of the first HIV program. And I'm going to say this, Alexander, I saw more acts of kindness from the LGBT community to non-LGBT community in those days than I ever saw in reverse, ever. I saw people walk their talk and I really saw, wow, how people would discriminate if they were LGBT or they had HIV and um, Dr. Sally Dodds, there were so many, many um, lesbian and, and gay men who were so demonstrating acts of kindness and, and helping to people to learn. So I got invited into communities in the LGBT community that I don't think I would have ever, ever had I not been involved in all these wonderful first, I call them the first um, of that. But I also got to meet, holy cow, um, so many wonderful people. My favorite lesbians in the world, now Dancing with Angels, Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon. They were in uh, San Francisco and they started the first lesbian support group there. And I was like, wow, I wanna know. And so uh, of course we all got invited in and, and they were together for so many years. Um, and I was so blessed, so blessed to be invited in. And that's really how I got to know so many people in the community um, as well. That's, a, that's, that's really beautiful. I like that you touched on and, and that you shared that story about trust. You know, I feel as if um, that's something that still is lacking within the community. Um, I can only, you know, really speak for more of the, the lesbian community because that's what I usually identify as. Um, yes. And I feel that it's hard for people to be themselves or post stuff on social media without feeling like they're not going to get enough likes or comments. And I'm guilty of, of feeling that same way, you know? of being, you know, of wanting to be vulnerable, but being fearful of the judgment that comes with it. So do you have any advice for our community as to how, you know, to be more of themselves without the fear of judgment of others? Because at the end of the day, I feel that it's very human of us to want to crave that, that acceptance, that validation from others. And, and to rewire ourselves to not pay attention to that is extremely difficult. So what, what advice or, or, you know, insight do you have to people who, who are scared to be themselves, people that are scared to go to events alone, people that are scared to talk to people at parties and events and only stick with their own little click, you're not going to evolve that way. You're not going to meet the people that are probably meant to really impact your life that way, you know? So what, 
what advice do you give to us to, as someone who's probably worked on themselves a lot? You know, I'm, I'm 36. You've, you've got some time on me, you know, like lots of uh, life exploration. What do you, what do you suggest? You know, when I've learned from people, first of all, self-esteem is really important. Pretending to be something you're not takes so much energy. Ab oh, absolutely. So much energy. And there's only one of you. So you be you. Everybody else is taken. I think it's Dr. Seuss or somebody like that. But that to me is, is important for every child to grow up. To learn because I dealt also with people with a lot of differences that I saw how people felt when they were different. I don't care if they had a visual impairment or they couldn't hear or um, a what we called autism. Now we call neurologic differences. We didn't even have words like like gender queer in those queer. You didn't even call people queer. That was like a put down word in when I was growing up. And it was taken back with pride. And um, that part, uh, even words, how you identify, what messages you, you tell yourself, and also the communities of people. Who are your heroes and heroes? Who are they? And oh my gosh, because I was telling you about Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon. I mean, they to me were like, how did you, how did you ever develop this first lesbian group? And that was when I met them in the 70s. They were doing this in the 50s. And I'm like, holy cow, that is so brave. And so what groups that you want to uh to be around and what what are your resources? And about safety too. And how do you address any kind of criticism or attacks? And that was true. I was, um, I have these cards. It, it early on, it says, you're from the devil. And they, you know, cause I taught about sexuality and I thought, not really, no, I'm from God is God and light and I now, HP, higher power, if you're in your recovery, I call it Harry Potter. And Okay, so no, you know, no, no. However, if you grow up and you don't get that reassurance, then you have to put yourself into not, if it's not family of origin, then family of choice. And so who do you get that? And who are your resources? And to keep working on that as well. So yay you, you're giving a lot of people that your hope and that part is so amazing. I also have to thank when I went to the first, oh gosh, the first LGBT parade in the 70s, they had a gay man who in my mind was more like a drag queen. I'm not against, I'm not against drag queens. I know many, but okay. And then they, there was no woman. And I'm going, well, where's the lesbian? And they said, there's nobody. Marilyn, would you be the honorary lesbian? I go, okay, but, but I would want somebody who really identified 
And because I don't have to say, hi, I'm Marilyn, I'm cisgender, and my pronouns are she and her. I know we do that now. And I'm, you know, straight. And I don't, and I got privilege because I'm white. Okay. I don't have to do all that. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, because in Miami, we have this wonderful, okay, the, what I like about Miami and Florida is oh, all these communities. And so I got to be the honorary lesbian in one of the parades and they're like, wow, wow. And they said, well, what will your uh, husband think? What will your mother or father? And I said, they would know I value all people. And that was what I just always said. And so I had this big privilege. And now of course there's lots of LGBT folks in, in the parades and, um, then I got to be a part of the, you know, going and speaking to the Aqua Foundation. And there were many lesbian groups and the first lesbian mom groups in one of our uh, churches in the community is like, yes, yes, you need to be visible. So it gives people that message about that. So, so if you ever wanna have Vicki Braille on, a social worker, mama, and oh my gosh, there's so many she wrote that I, I so admire, I so admire because they were the, I call them the front runners of that. Um, so I got to be a part of many, many groups. Um, or my friend who happens to be visually impaired, Debbie Hazelton, she said, there's no B by the way, when we started these workshops in the eighties. And I said, B, she said, bisexual, right. You are right. And so then we added the B on <laughs> and then, because we didn't have all the computers then. And so I would go up to Provincetown for about 20 years. And that were people, those were uh, individuals who identified, they would, well, they'd now say transgender or gender queer, but, um, and now they're, they're seniors. And Dr. Ari Kane at, Oh my gosh, and so many Dallas Denny who we met. And it was so interesting. And I went always when it was lesbian music week and and they thought I was lesbian. I thought great. I love, I love it. And then they thought it was a cross-dresser during transgender week. And I just they go, hey, you dress well. And I just lower my voice and go, thank you. And then <laughs> and there were the gay guys in recovery that kind of closed it down in October. And I didn't quite pull off being a gay guy in the recovery, but they made me an honorary gay guy. And I am so grateful to the community. I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how I am. So. Wow. That is so cool. You've experienced a lot. Oh, that okay. is really neat. Yeah. And I saw to answer your question, just so people know, words, messages, role models, she rose, Okay. Also, how you reframe, where are your resources, who are the groups, those are important. And if you need, and how are you coping? How are you coping? Because a lot of people cope either positive or negative. Go get help by people who are going to value you. That's really to answer your question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that was beautiful. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, as, as 
um, impactful as I want this to be. I want this to be a little fun. Tell me about what it is to be a sexologist. You know, what does that entail? Um, you're essentially teaching people all different sorts of things about sex. I watched an episode of you on, uh, I think like a late night show where you were bickering back and forth with this guy who was eating a ring lollipop, if that rings a bell. And, um, and you were absolutely hilarious. So I'd, I'd love to bring some of that humor to this show. Um, tell me what, what, what exactly does a sexologist do? And, and uh, do you have, you know, do you talk more about sex than you have it? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's a great, that's always a great question. My husband would say, answer, yes, she talks more about it than doesn't. Okay. And, but the interesting part is what I love to do is to really help people learn about it because we've gone into uh, medical schools, nursing schools, and taught in, in elementary schools because that's my background in teaching in special needs schools. And I'm going to talk to Down syndrome group next week. And I've talked to MS group and people with, with all kinds of diseases, diabetes and, and all cancers and uh, uh, mamas in, in who are pregnant and then after pregnancy. And it's so interesting to see the questions that people still have, even with the computer there. And they still have, you know, and I always, when I'm in an inclusive, I can see the eyes in the students who I know identify in some way in the LGBT community, their, their eyes, or they like go, or yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's important to affirm. So every opportunity I get to teach, um, and some of it, it, and we have a training program under Dr. Carol Clark, and uh, we have an ITCA group, International Transgender Certification Association. And we also certify people in sexology and in doctoral programs. So I'm on a lot of doctoral committees and I oh, worked in a lot of, it's, it's very, it keeps, it's very exciting. It keeps me passionate to help people really, really find what they want to pass on and to help themselves and also their sexuality um, affirmation. So, oh, I get to, and also there's fun things, very fun things. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I've been um, into many programs and bars and in clubs and, um, oh, I can't even tell you all of the places that are very fun. Like you saw, I think it probably was at the U of M with the guy in the lollipop. And um, so, Oh no, we've had a lot of fun because humor is also a way, it can't be always so serious. So humor is the way that a lot of people cope. Um, yes. Uh, and, and how you present it can be in, I call it infotainment. That's how I like to present info. It's information and entertaining. And you gotta have that as well. I've also taught in the military um, with people who are in deployment and certainly there are LGBT folks in the military, no matter anybody who would like to deny or not deny in politics, but for sure. And then when they come back and it was actually a lesbian nurse in one of my classes 
And I always like the students to do projects they believe in. Don't write a boring paper. I will sign language boring, a whole thing right now. I'm, I don't want that. I want you to believe in something. Start something. You don't even have to finish it in class. Just do it. Start and be a part of it. And she was an army nurse. And she said, you know, when the military folks go, we need to be helping them in relationships and we want to be inclusive. She happened to be a lesbian and we want to be inclusive. And I go, I'm in. That's great. And so even though I'm probably the biggest pacifist person, here I am with a lot of military folks. And so uprooting your relationships and when they come back, rebooting. And we had all kinds of images um, were very inclusive. And at first I got like questioned about how many people are straight or gay. And I go, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, do you want, you want me to ask you about your personal sex life? But, but they were fine. They were really fine. And it was because of this army nurse who's now retired with her wife. And so um, really you can see how people start things. And I like, I like to be a part of starting things and then letting people, letting them take over and see what happens. Like with the safe schools, <gasps> Dee Palazzo now, Robert Lupo started safe schools, happens to be a gay man. Dee happens to be a lesbian who goes around now where, where a lot of us got banned. Oh, there's stories being banned. Yeah. And I'll tell you about that. I was making a presentation about H, well, it was about it, HIV. And it was about a young teenager who got HIV from a dentist very early on, a number, not just she, but a number, because there was horrific stories, horrific stories at the beginning. And we had people meet in our houses because nobody wanted them to meet or in certain churches or synagogues, there were certain ones that would. And people didn't want their kids to play with our kids because we worked with people with HIV. And so the interesting part of it was, is that I was in a, the school system and um, in, it was in Northern Florida and now they're open. One of our sons is a counselor there. Now they're much more open, but Dee Palazzo, oh, you must have her on the show because ah, she will tell you about the safe schools. But so here was the mother against drunk driving, great. And here was a doctor talking about STDs, great. And here was me talking about sexuality and HIV. And the first question from this whole group of students is, can you get that virus from oral sex? Well, that's a very common question. And I was gonna talk about oral sex. They go, Ma, that's it, Ma, we're gonna end this show. And I can't tell you how many, and I'm going like, that's a very important question. Nope, end the show. But what happened, and you know, that it was, they didn't have computers, but they had some cell phones or old school phones. School, I was banned to go to the next school, but they sent students over because, you know, students talk to one another. And they sat down on the grass and said, what should we be telling our, our teammates and our school, you know, students? And I go, ask questions. I'll tell you what I know. But now, if you have Dion, there's a, there's a lot more openness. So you have to be ready if you stand out here to be criticized, to be banned. That's why you have a dream team. Um, and I was so grateful that 
I had a mama who said, when you believe in what you believe, get ready. Not everybody is going to like you. And she was a feminist in her own right. I'm going to brag about my mama after a little bit dancing with angels. I mean, she was born in the 1900s. And if you, if you see women's history, that's why I want you to see women's history, lesbian history. Oh my gosh. Island of Lesbos, 612 BC. We would have been all called lesbian. I just think that's great. When I tell that story and people are going, well, yeah, American, American, Lesbos, lesbian. Then there was, I'll get back to my mother. Then there was a woman, her name was Sappho. And she was married to a guy because in those days, Island of Lesbos, 612 BC. I mean, how many lesbians were out? Okay, how many people were out? So the interesting part is she wrote poetry to women. And if you ever read oh, the poetry of Sappho, mm, yeah, it's gonna arouse, it's gonna arouse women. I'm gonna, it's gonna get them aroused and okay. So, Check it out, ladies. Check it out. <laughs> yes, yes. And Sappho, that, and so from then, it's why lesbians took on that name and because she was put there, they took it on pride. Sign language for lesbian, sign language for lunch. Don't get those confused. Breakfast, dinner, lunch, lesbian. Oh, I can't tell you all the mistakes I made <clears throat> with that one, all right, in ordering lunch. One of the time I ordered lesbian and one of the women who knew this goes, are you sure that's what you want? And I go, whatever I ordered, bring it on. And I, <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor. So my mother was the was a woman who was an early, and when she was in the churches, um, they had the men sit on one side and the women on, and she went, oh, no, no, people can sit wherever they want to sit. I and mean, she was a early feminist without even knowing that word. And then they only had men soloists on the radio. Radio was big in those days. It was in Texas where I was born. And she said, oh no, oh no. If you're getting given a gift, you need to be able to share your gift. And she was the first women soloist on one of those radio shows. And I'm like, you are a feminist and you are like, paving the way for me for sure but i had i saw so many wonderful heroes and one of them was my mama who that's died. amazing oh yeah oh yeah wow what an inspiration inspiration so do you have any advice or uh suggestions as to what would be a healthy sex life for a for a couple or for an individual that's by themselves when it comes to masturbation. Oh, masturbation. Well, masturbation, babies masturbate and they can even have an orgasm because an orgasm, this is sign language for scared right here. And if you put it down by your genitals, it's sign language for orgasm. So be careful where you put your hands. Okay, I know, I know sign language. Uh, that's American sign language, by the way because they're different sign languages. This is the only international sign. I love you. Yeah. yeah. And so the interesting part is that when you 
think about people. So get me back on track. You were asking me about, get me back on track. Because I So basically what, what is considered a good sex life for somebody oh. who is single? And then what is a yeah. good sex life for, for a couple? Like how many times should, should you be having sex a week? Wow. You know, it's so interesting because first of all, babies masturbate, they can have a normal. That's what I was on, but their brain doesn't sexualize it because, because orgasm is a muscle contraction caused by your autonomic nervous system. This is all medical. You know, you burp, you cough, you sneeze, you pass gas, whoops. Okay, autonomic nervous system. Okay, but when you're in puberty, that's when you really can begin to love. And when I ask people, by the way, when they had a first attraction, if somebody is straight and they said, oh, when I was in kindergarten or first grade, I had this crush on the opposite sex, nobody goes, no, no. But gay and lesbian people can have absolutely a same sex crush and then they realize what that is. I was just talking to someone today and she said, you know, I never realized because my mother said, well, you could have same-sex friends, but she said, I'm realizing, oh no, oh no, this was somebody, hmm. big crush, not friends, some big crush. And um, so she said she would masturbate thinking of that young person. Okay. And so that part is masturbation is very normal. Most people do it, not always, but hopefully in private. Okay. But once you, once you learn about your orgasm, that's important for you to know about because then you can pass it on what you know to someone else you're in a relationship with. And even if there's two women together, they could have differences of how their body responds what arouses them in the brain, what kinds of touch, five types of touches, five types, observational. Oh, how does this woman respond? How does that woman respond? Playful, unless the playful resulted in abusive things. So I have to always ask about the history, playful touch, nurturing touch we call this body mapping body mapping and to assume just because two women have vaginas that they will respond the same no there's a whole body mapping about that and then there's sensuous of the senses smells <gasps> words visuals okay and tastes and then sexual and sexual so that part is how does a woman have an orgasm and how does she move into sex? And, oh, Dr. Rosemary Blasson, whoa, she has a sex response cycle, knock your socks off. And she taught, you could even enter sex in neutral. And then once you begin to do some of these five touches, arousal. And then once you find out the best way, orgasm, and hopefully you feel good after, unless there's something triggered. 
And so I always ask about if anything bad happened to you, physically, emotionally, sexually, because I wouldn't want you to get triggered, okay? And so that part, um, I love working with people. I have a private practice, and so I love working with individuals and couples, and I like to ask to be very honorable to see all. And I want them to enjoy sex, for Pete's sake. Yes, sex. I think sex is very important. I think sex is very important and it should be enjoyed and not something that we should be ashamed to discuss. So no, no. So to to go on the second question, what would you say is a a a realistic and comfortable amount of times to have sex with your partner per week? What what would be considered a healthy relationship when it comes to the sexual aspect that you specialize in? Well, I would say it's related to the other seven types of intimacy. There's eight types of intimacy. Only one is sex. Okay. If, if a woman wants to just meet another woman, have sex, bye. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. Happy hookups. That's fine. I'm okay. But that part is is how about the affection in the relationship? Because that can, oh, that can get, hmm, want to be close. Affection, social. Where do we, what do we want to do together socially? I know COVID has been there, but what do we want to do socially? Who do we want to hang out with? Who do we enjoy? Where do we enjoy? Okay. I was working with a couple and they said, we just like nature. We just like to go on trips in our camper. And I go, great. And they feel close together. Okay. Affection, social, emotional. Can they tell their feelings? How do they communicate? That's very, very important. A lot of people say, well, women can communicate with women. And I go, depends on the background, depends on messages they got about communication and who do they trust? Mm-hmm. And so we got affection, social, emotional. Then we have intellectual. Oh, there are some women who've said to me, you got to get me between the ears before you get me between the legs, you know, <laughs> intellectual. And then we have a physical, which is not sex. It's doing things together. So I was working with a woman. She goes, I love kayaking. I belong to a kayaking group. And that's where my, okay, okay. Okay, physical, and then there's spiritual, which could be religious. And I work with religious people. In fact, in Coral Gables, one of our our really um, oldest churches is an open and affirming church. Lesbian, lesbian minister. Everybody welcomed, and I'm like, yeah, yes. If you're religious, you want to be as a part, or it could be spiritual. And then um, there is uh, aesthetic, which is not about your butt, but teenagers call it the ass thing. It's sharing something beautiful, art, music, whatever. And then there's the sex part. So when you ask me, a lot of people can have sex, but not so much of the other seven intimacies. It's called a depth, a depth of intimacy. And other people can have such a depth and, and yet they may or may not have the same amount. So I always like to check with these eight types of intimacy 
and I can send them to you if you want to post this on whatever you have so that your listeners can check it out for sure. Yes, absolutely. That would be great. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, sure. Um, I, I just have a, a really important question. Is, is it true that you carry condoms around with you everywhere you go? <laughs> yes, 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 I do. And you should have seen me go through TSA. Um, oh gosh, that's like, I do because people have asked me and you got it like, no. Well, let me, I mean, I want to show you, this is a glove, goes on your hand. This is a condom, goes on a man's penis. This is a woman's condom. This is a dental dam, which by the way, didn't have such a great following. The dental dam, if one did, wanted to do protect it, who even talks like this, Alexander? Cunnilingus. <laughs> Nobody would even say, hey babe, would you like to cunnilingus? Nobody talks like that. But they weren't such a hot thing. I was always asking women, could you like put this dental dam in some hot underwear? You could make money. Then you don't have to hold it or it will fold over, you know? So I'm still waiting for that to happen. Um, Very smart idea. Oh yeah, yeah. But yes, 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 I do, I do. Uh, my kids are always like, mom, don't bring those condoms out. Now they're okay because they're older in their 60s and 50s and 40s. But and the grandkids, some of them have kids. And so um, they're always going. And, and in my house, I, if you see my dining room table, I have stars and I have a glass with condoms in it. And, and people are always going, I go, well, if you want, take them, but always check, always check the expiration date. Be sure of, of, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love it. I love it. And just before we end, because um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, what, what, is, um, what is the legacy that you'd like to leave behind? Oh, you're going to make me cry. You're going to make me cry. Um, because I would hope that in some way, not just me, but the dream team, I call it sign language for dream team, that I worked with so many dream teams would have helped people to feel safer, just to be who you are, to affirm who you are, to be in the world as the sheroes that, that oh my gosh, oh my gosh, to be you. And to be that for young women and the young girls growing up. And, and as I said, we have bisexual daughter, we have a lesbian granddaughter, we have two gay cousins. We have their pictures up with their spouses and partners just as much as you can see the mob behind me of the pictures. And we have and we've always valued everybody. I would hope that it would help younger people not be so afraid. Find, find in their heart the safe places and find the role models. I want to be like her. I want to be like her. Not exactly because you're not a clone, but I want to have her confidence. 
oh, if I help to affirm people around their sexuality and not to cope with oh, self-destruction, that to me, my life, my life, it, it was, and it's been an extraordinary life. I have been blessed by, and I would say, most of all, people in the LGBT community, because people have opened the doors for me so that I learned a lot. People trusted me. Find people you trust. The legacy, if people trusted me, that's a gift. That's a gift for sure. And our family, that's a gift. So I would be so grateful about that. And I would want next generations to keep it going. Keep it going. And I trust that. Keep it going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, all these new words, you know, um, genderqueer, and which I'm not against, those are going to be old school to my great-grandchildren. They are, they're going to come up with new words. And I hope I'm around to hear those new words because every generation has those new words. So, um, and I'm really grateful for all of you who are visible. I want to thank you. Your visibility helps so many young lesbians. I can't even tell you so many young, all the people that you have on your show, so many people who are gender variant or gender queer, whatever words they use, oh, you're making it so visible for them. So this is sign language for you. Thank you. Thank you. And I would want everybody to be safe. This is sign for safe, safe with the S, uh, physically, emotionally, and sexually. I hope everybody enjoys sex, whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, that for sure. And find somebody. Now, some people want to be single. Absolutely. And um, some people want to be coupled. I just want to also say a word about um, my husband and I decided we weren't going to get married right away because our daughter, one of our four, and our granddaughter, one of our 13, didn't get choice. And we decided we wouldn't take privilege until we saw that they could get choice. And boy, did we get criticized for this even when planning a child during that time. And I said, we have to walk or talk. That would be very hypocritical. So this part, what you're working on, what you're helping is for people to have that choice and to see those role models. Thank you. You're a star, sign language for star. Thank you so much, you're a star. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you're you're an incredible woman, incredible human being, and I I'm I'm just so utterly grateful for the opportunity to get to know you better. Um, so thank you.